The word of the Lord from Matthew 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women that has arisen, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been, been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. The word of the Lord. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Our Father, this day, we're asking you to work in this gathering. Lord, we can go through the motions of singing and praying, and I can go through the motions of preaching, and we can go through the motions of listening, and maybe even throw in a few amens here and there, but Lord, we don't want to go through the motions. We want you to work. We want you to stir us to faith, to hope, and to love. We want you to work in us your power. We want you to free us from the love of sin and death and rebellion and to give us love for you and for your son and for your spirit and for your word and for your church. Lord, we're just pleading with you to be the powerful God that you are 
to make us the new, renewed people indwelt by your spirit that you promised you have and that you would give us great joy in you. Oh God, would you do this today? Would you do this today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't done so already, please take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 11 where Suzanne was just reading for us. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there should be one under the chair in front of you. I have a concern for the church at large. And my concern is that we seem to have swapped faith for certainty. And I want to be really clear with what I mean. We've swapped Faith, trusting God, His goodness, His promises to guide us forward when we don't know what forward looks like. That's faith. That's what the Bible commends for certainty, meaning I know all the answers. I know everything God wants in every moment, and I'm usually 99.9% of the time right. And if the world would just be like me, the world would be a better place. Now, I've painted that in very broad, black and white, catastrophized categories, but there is a sense in which I feel my own heart and a lot of us as the world gets crazier by the day, just thinking what it means to follow God is to have all the answers and be arrogant about it. No, no, the biblical vision, by the way, the Bible does give us answers, and when it does give us answers, we cling to them because they're true, but the biblical vision is, I'm going to take those answers, and I'm going to cling to the Lord day by day, step by step, moment by moment, when I don't know what lies in front of me. Because here's the reality. Here's the reality of the world. We will all come to a place when our current needs, hopes, and expectations of a Savior don't align with who the actual Savior is and what He's actually doing in that moment. Let me say that one more time. We will all, and maybe today some of us are sitting here right now, We will all come to a place when our hopes, our needs, our longings, our hurts, and our expectations of what a Savior ought to do won't align with what the real Savior Jesus actually is doing. John comes to that moment in this passage and we learn a beautiful lesson of faith. Now, if you'll just give me one more minute of of pastoral grace before we dive into the text. Friends, remember I said robust faith, idolatry of certainty. When the church gravitates over here to never having questions, never acting like we don't have it all together, always being a little pompous and a little arrogant, then what happens is there's about 30% of us that have to come to church and fake our way through it because they don't think there's a place for their pain. 
And they don't think there's a place for their mourning. And they don't think there's a place, we, I shouldn't say they, we don't think there's a place to have questions. We don't think there's a place to wonder, how long, O oh Lord? We don't think there's a place to wonder, God, what are you up to? And friends, if we're robbing those questions of faith from the faithful, we're doing something wrong. There is a vast, vast, vast difference. It's going to be in this text between God's wrong and I reject him and how long, O Lord. There's a vast difference between I hate God and I reject him and what are you up to, O Lord? There's a vast difference there, okay? John the Baptist in this passage is in this camp of what are you up to, Jesus? What are you up to? And guys, Jesus doesn't reject him. He actually celebrates him and gives him some biblical answers to shape his faith and his doubt. So what I want us to see in this passage today is Jesus is the Savior and as the Savior, He is able to accomplish everything that God desires for the world. And that is a blessing to the people of God. And faith is following that Jesus, not knowing everything that He's up to. Faith is following that Jesus, not liking every step of the way. And this is an invitation to that kind of faith. Now, if someone drug you here this morning and you're like, it's non 30, and this dude's screaming at me. That's the point. But I want you to see this in the passage. I just don't want you to hear me rambling. So let's look at the passage together. Our sermon this morning is entitled Seeing and Believing. What we're longing for here at Redeemer is that you see Jesus and you respond to him by believing, by entrusting yourself, by choosing that you will walk with him. So the first point, if you want to take notes, what have we seen? What have we seen? Verse 11, or sorry, chapter 11, verse 1 begins this way. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? This is the question. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now that question might seem fair, vague, but when we really launch into who John was, that question has a, a, a weightiness to it. So let's do a little detour. Who was John? You can read about John in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. John first appears in Matthew's telling of the story of Jesus, um, preaching in the wilderness. His message was this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Turn away from your sin, turn away from your rebellion, because God's king is coming. John even went so far as to say, I'm not the one who is to come. I was sent to prepare the way for the one who was to come. 
John's message was, are you ready to meet the Savior? And then Jesus, the Savior, went out in the wilderness to John, and John recognized him. He was the one who was to come. And Jesus said, John, I need you to baptize me. And John said, no, no, I am not worthy to baptize you. You should baptize me. Jesus said, John, we need to do this to fulfill all of God's purposes and plans. So John baptizes Jesus. And then get this. Jesus comes up out of the water. The heavens open. A dove descends. And the voice from the heavens says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Alright, this is John's experience. This is what John has seen and heard. Are we going out on a limb to say, if anyone should have had confidence in Jesus, it should have been John? We're going out on a limb to say that? No. No. John rightly and vehemently believed that Jesus was God's Savior, that Jesus was bringing God's kingdom. That God's reign goes through and begins with Jesus, the beloved Son. Now, John finds himself, we're told, in prison. Arrested. In wonder. In prison. Arrested. In wonder. At this moment, what John is longing for is the king of the kingdom to establish the kingdom and to deliver all the people who belong to him, including John. John's wondering, in what ways does this kingdom help me? How do I follow the king while I'm locked up in prison? So John sends his followers to Jesus, to ask this question. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look to another? Are you one? So, so we can say this. John is at a bit of a crossroads. He knows what he's seen. He knows what he's heard. And in this crossroads, his hopes, needs, longings, and expectations are wanting a Savior who sets the captives for the Savior free. And that's not necessarily a wrong-headed desire. So John asks the question. Now let's notice what Jesus says. Verse 4. And Jesus answered them, being the followers of John, Go and tell John what you hear and see. Jesus basically says, hey, John's been locked up, so let's give him a, a fuller picture. Verse 5. The blind receive their sight. 
and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus says, Go tell John this. The power of the kingdom is on display. The power of God is on display through me. And the promises of God are being fulfilled through me. The blind are seeing. The lame are walking. Lepers are being cleansed. The deaf are hearing. The dead are raised up. And the poor, those undeserving and outcast, are having the good news of the kingdom proclaimed to them. Now, that answer to us might just be like, "Eh, okay, thanks. But what Jesus is doing is He is proclaiming to John that God's promises are being fulfilled through Him. And that the power of God is on display through Him. Jesus is effectively bullet-pointed quoting Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, read this. Speaking of the coming Savior, long before Jesus existed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Sound familiar? To bind up the broken hearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. God said, this is what Messiah will do. Jesus is saying, go tell John, I'm doing the works of Messiah that God long promised. Because what you're seeing and hearing is works of Messiah on display. So Jesus' answer is, John, without saying, I am the one. He's saying, I am the one. You need not look to another. Therefore, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Meaning, blessed is the one who's not offended by me carrying out God's works in the way God desires. And guys, I want to be really clear. John's not wrong to ask. Maybe John's just hyper-focused on this little part of Isaiah 61 verse 1. Proclaim liberty to the captives and open the prison to those who are bound. He's looking for this particular blessing from Messiah. And Jesus is effectively saying, no, John, look broader. Let me give to you the whole picture. Let me tell you what is here to be seen and heard. I am he. I am he. Don't be offended by me. 
come to me. Jesus is saying, everything that I say, everything that I do, the ministry that I carry out is intended to celebrate and the power of God in the coming of His kingdom to highlight the, the work of the Spirit in the bringing of the kingdom and to complete all the promises of God. Jesus, through John's question, is declaring, I am the one who was to come. Don't look elsewhere. Look to me. Friends, this morning, what I want to say to you is very clear. Don't look elsewhere. Look to him. Don't look elsewhere. Look to him. The story of Matthew, the story of Mark, the story of Luke, the story of John, the stories of the book of Acts, the story of the life and work of Jesus shouts, he is the one. Jesus is the one. Friends, this season, if I could commend anything to you, it would be this. Look to Jesus, the Son of God, for the saving power of God. Look to Jesus, the Son of God, for the healing work of God. Look to Jesus, the Son of God, for the ministry of God. It all comes through Him. Run to Him. So that pushes us to our second point. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. We need to notice something here. Not once in this passage does it appear to me that Jesus shames John for asking the question. I don't see it in there anywhere. Actually, Jesus takes the question at face value, answers it at face value, sends the disciples back, and then turns to the crowd. And Humanly speaking, what are you going to say right there? You just sent somebody to question my validity and the essence of who I am. And I sent your people back. Now, what am I going to say about you? Here's what Jesus says. There's no greater man born of a woman than John. He was the promised messenger to prepare the way for me, the Savior. Isaiah chapter 40. He was the Elijah that God promised to send to re-engage the prophetic ministry after 400 years of silence. Micah chapter 4 verse 5. Jesus is not knocking John down. He elevates him as high as he can elevate a human. John is sent by God. John understands who I am. John is God's messenger. John is doing the work of God to proclaim and prepare the way for me. Jesus isn't tearing away at John saying, how dare you question me? He's saying he's a great man. God is using him. God has a purpose for him. Verse 11, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater.
greater than John the Baptist. John is the messenger of the king and the messenger of the kingdom. And here's John in the midst of the ministry ordained by God and foretold by God saying, Jesus, are you the one? Or should we look for another? I don't want to stand up here this morning and promote doubt or promote questioning of God. But faith turns to Jesus. So when it's there, you probably don't have emissaries and disciples that you can send on your behalf, but you don't need them. Turn to Christ. Look to Jesus. So John's not rebuked or condemned. John's actually celebrated. But there are a group of people who are rebuked and condemned. Not because they have questions, not because they have doubts, not because they lack understanding, but because they are hard-hearted, selfish, arrogant, and unwilling to be persuaded of who the Christ is. These people are kind of mapped out in verses 16 through 24. But what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to their playmates, effectively saying, you never give us what we want. We play the flute and you don't dance. We sing a dirge and you don't mourn. We're dissatisfied in you. For John came neither eating nor drinking, verse 18, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is saying, look, God sent John to you and you rejected him because he, was, he didn't imbibe in the culture enough. He was crazy and weird and out in the wilderness saying, turn away from the world and run to God. And then the Son of Man came and he, like he immersed himself into who the people were. He ate with them, he drank with them, he dined with them, he taught with them, he was friends with them. And they said, look... He hangs out with the gluttons and the drunkards. He's not religious enough. And Jesus just says, Some of you have had so many mighty works done in your midst, and you reject the work and the worker and the one who sent them to do the work. So what we get in verses 20 through 24 is this this parallel between cities in the life of ministry of Jesus, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Tyre and Sidon, Old Testament towns that were evil and destroyed and kind of become cliche. And Jesus says, woe to you who had the work of the Savior done all in front of you and you rejected and did not repent. 
the worst of the worst, if they would have seen what you have seen, would have repented long ago and been reconciled to their Lord. So Jesus says, look, rejecting me is not a trifling matter. But John is not rejected. Rejecting me is not something that will be overlooked. But John has looked to me, not rejected. I don't want to push this too far. But some of us are struggling in faith. And we need to know what the Lord has promised so we can cling to it. That would make us like John. And I think that's a commendable way to struggle forward. Other of us struggle in faith because really deep down we don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to change anything about us. We just want what we want, when we want, how we want it, and we reject anyone who challenges that notion. Jesus and his word will challenge the notion. To both of these, John, and these rebellious cities, Jesus answers in verse 28, Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, I'm saving verses 25 through the end of the chapter, through 30, for our Christmas message. But the point is, look to Jesus. The point is, looking to Jesus is an act of faith. And Jesus joyfully celebrates the faith of his people, always. The point is, don't reject him. The point is, don't be hardened and calloused, but always be looking to Jesus. Faith is a posture. Looking to Jesus is a posture. What's desired is that we be a people who take all of the reality all around us and all of its hurt and all of its brokenness and all of its pain and all of its sorrow and all of its fallenness. We, we engage that and we run to Jesus saying, we believe you are the hope and the answer and the one who has defeated and will forever defeat these realities. We cling to you. And we fight the urge to try to make Jesus be something more or different than he's revealed himself to be. We fight the urge to try to make Jesus something more or different than he's Revealed to be. So ask yourself, dear Christian, these questions. In all of where I am, what has God promised that I can cling to?
What does God promise that I can cling to? In all of where I am, what do I know about the character of Christ that can give me hope? In all of where I am, what has the Lord commanded me to do? Because today, I'm going to do what the Lord has commanded, trusting that He is with me, that He is for me, that He is working for His church and for His people and for His name. And I'm going to go forward believing that my eternal hope is in Him. Believing that if I'm in Him, I'm where I need to be. I'm going to look to this Jesus. our Father and our God. We pray you would take these words and as much as they're true and right, as much as they're faithful to your scripture, would you cause them to be heard and believed and received? Lord, let us not just depart from here, but let us depart from here with your word dwelling richly in us and bearing much fruit through us. We pray this for the glory of Jesus. And we ask it that we might have joy in you. Amen.